the Apostle Paul got to a place in his walk with the Lord where he said, imitate me, act like me. Whatever you see me do, you should do that also. And if you don't know what I do, well then watch and then do what I do. Because the Lord is bringing us all to a place in our walk. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because me as a pastor, I go, well, I'm in a place in my walk where I'm supposed to say that to you. Now, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Yeah, that's a scary thought. God is calling us to the, the, a type of thing. And it's not just me. Because we all need to stand up and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's the key. We need to be imitating Christ so other people can look at us and go that same direction. I think that that's what uh, the Apostle Paul is doing here. He is challenging the whole church because the people who knew Paul would have had the same reaction. You know what I mean? We, we think of Paul as, you know, St. Paul, the Apostle. You know, we, we've, we've put Paul up here on this pedestal, right? I mean, just right below Christ, and Peter's up there also, right? And some of the other guys. But the guys that traveled with Paul, that were in the group, would have been like, yeah, I know the real Paul. I know when Paul messes up, because I've seen it. But I also know when Paul goes to the Lord and asks for forgiveness, because I've seen it. So there's this cycle where, where Paul's saying, imitate me. And then a, a young man like Peter comes along and starts imitating Paul, and then, I mean, not Peter, but Timothy. Timothy comes along and starts imitating Paul. And then um, Timothy turns around and says, okay, guys, imitate me. Now, Timothy went on to pastor his own church. And when he said this, and he says this to a young man named Luke. And Luke starts imitating Timothy, who imitated Paul, who imitated Christ. You see the pattern that I'm talking about here? Luke goes on to write 25% of the New Testament. All from that imitation pattern. We don't know who is imitating us to the point that the Lord's just going to use them and do amazing things with. So we have to be careful with our actions, right? Not as in a look in the mirror and go, Alan, you got to, you know, be, be hard on ourselves, but to the point of going, we have so much joy in the Lord that we follow the Lord that other people go, that's a good path to be on. Then when it comes time to, for us to step up and, and, and we've got to say, man, I, I've got to mature a little bit, right? I, I must grow up a little bit here. So I'm telling you, if you've got nobody else to imitate, then imitate me. We all have someone watching us, right? And when, like I t said last week, we get uncomfortable with that. Many people say, oh, I'm, I'm not ready to disciple anyone. I'm not ready to lead someone in my walk with the Lord, you know, and, and lead them down that path. But you know what? You don't have a choice. Because if people watch me, guess what? Whatever facet of life that you're involved in, people watch you. You don't have a choice in this matter. The Lord commands us here, and it's for our own good. Jesus is coming back, and we must 
you know, we must get strong in our faith. We must rely on the Lord more and more. We've got to be willing to take, our, you know, take time in our busy schedules so that we will grow. And that's why we're trying to get into the word every day this year. That's why if, if you're on the, the I, I need to add one more person to our, our uh, texts, but the texts go out and somebody requested this week that we, we do it at eight o'clock instead of seven o'clock, so I'll try to change that. Um, yeah, everybody has their own sleep schedule, so hey, I'll just leave that alone. But um, you know, we need to make time to get into the scripture. So if you're not on that list, fill out a card, give it to me and I'll get you on that list because we should be reading the scriptures. And then we start to grow and somebody around us will say, you know what? I kind of like that person. I know it's hard to imagine, right? Somebody's saying, I kind of like you, you know? I'm going to start acting like them a little bit. And that's scary. You know, when I used to be in junior high ministry, it was fun. Um, my brother came out and lived with my wife and I for, for a little over a year. And we had fun because my brother and I decided... We're going to start using words from when we grew up just to see if the kids would start using those words. I mean, introducing good words like cool beans. No one? Cool, cool beans. C-O-O-L-B-E-A-N-S. Cool beans. I, I'm getting some blank looks. No one else grew up in the 80s around here? Am I the only one? My wife and I, I mean, we grew up saying that all the time, you know, in psych. Okay, now we've heard of that one. Good, good. So we start using these type of words just to see if the, if the, the kids in the late 90s would start picking. And sure enough, our youth group starts using these words. My senior pastor came to me one day and he goes, Alan, what's the deal? They're all talking like, like you. Yeah, you see my point? People watch us, they imitate us, and it's scary. It says here in, in verse 18, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Now you might remember earlier in chapter 3, Christ, start, I mean, Paul starts talking about legalists. Those that believe that the rules would get them to heaven. If I just follow these rules, if I, just, if I behave well enough, uh, and, and I do this, this, and this, this will get me to heaven. But then Paul starts talking about maturing in the faith, forgetting what is behind and looking toward Christ. And now he's going to, uh, go, he's going to use a, another example here. He says, you've got to watch out for this other group of people. They don't obey the rules. And they think the whole Christian walk is just for them to have a great time. Now, have you known any rule breakers in your life? Just look at kids, right? They start out as kids and they just, they just break the rules just to break the rules. You know, I've had friends like that and you're like going, oh dude, you're going to have a hard life, right? Just break the rules just to, but just to have fun. Well, here in the Christian faith, there are those who think, I can just have a good time. I don't have to live by any rules because grace covers all my sin. It doesn't matter what I do Friday night. It doesn't matter what I do Monday night. It doesn't matter what I do Wednesday night. It doesn't matter what I do Tuesday night. It doesn't matter what I do Thursday afternoon. It doesn't matter. Why? Because I could just pray and God will forgive me. 
So I live by no rules. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And you know what they mean by this, right? You want sat- when you're hungry, you want to be satisfied, don't you? You ever get to that point where, I mean, you know, we have normal hunger, uh, hunger but you get to that point where you're just like, oh, I need something. I need something now. Just me. Okay, a couple of people here. Okay. And you're just like, satisfy me now. That's how the enemies of the cross live. It's all about the satisfaction of now. And their glory is their shame. And it says, who set their mind on earthly things. Now, the scripture is very clear. And we need to be careful about setting our minds on earthly things. And there's two real areas uh, that I see a lot of scripture uh, about in, in, in the Bible, you know, about these two different areas. And it's possessions and pleasure. Possessions and pleasures. We have to be careful. Because this leads oftentimes to what we call sin. Possessions and pleasures. We need to not take advantage of God's grace and somehow think, oh, I can do this. When in reality, that you're making a conscious decision that goes against the Holy Spirit. You know, we have this this war within us when we become Christians. The war of, I have this earthly desire within me that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, because I'm my own man or I'm my own, uh, for, for the ladies out there, your own woman, okay? And then the Holy Spirit comes in and starts trying to push out that that uh, original, uh, you know, the, the, the thing in us that we can do whatever we want. And the Spirit says, no, 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 I want you to live a different way. And there's that fight that goes on within us. And, and we have to be rejuvenated by the, by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and the Spirit comes along and says, no, 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 you need to stop, stop doing what you're doing because that is sin. And we start to feel guilty. And then a lot of times when we start feeling guilty, we run away from the church. We run away from our Christian friends. We run away from those things that can help us get back on a good path. When in reality, the Holy Spirit's saying, stop doing those things because I have a better path for you. You're going to feel better when you stop doing those things and you get on a godly path. And we say, oh, yeah, well, don't worry about it because God, God will forgive me. I'll just go ahead and do that. And this is what these people are do- doing and saying and acting like. I'll do it, and then I'll just ask God to forgive. And if, and if God's in heaven going, oh, yeah, I, you know, I, I hope they ask again. You know, I, <laughs> he's like your mom sometimes waiting for you to come home after curfew. You know what I mean? Sitting in the living room. Have you ever been late? Yeah, I was a good kid. I, I know some of you think I wasn't, but I really was. Because I get up here, I don't tell you about the good things that I've done. I tell you about the bad things I've done. Why? So you can understand how much God's grace has been upon my life and, and how he's changed my life. But I grew up as a good kid. I only came home once late from curfew. In all my years of living at home, 
just once. Now, there was a couple times where he called and, hey, our movie's running late. Can we stay? And they said, yes. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where I just didn't care and I came home late. I was out with my friend Daryl. And my parents were always asleep early. So it was never a big deal, you know. Every other time I came in at the, the correct time, they were always asleep. Well, this night, my uncle happened to come in town. And they were sitting in the living room, just talking away. I came in the house, and my dad just looks at me, and he goes, and he pointed to my bedroom, like, just go. And I'm walking down the hall, and I hear the words, dead man walking. <laughs> I knew I was in trouble, which is ironic, because it was the only time I'd ever been, you know, yeah, anyway. That's a whole other thing, you know. I'll deal with my counselor on that. Not really, but, you know. But God is not like that. He wants to be in relationship with us. And he does this pulling things out of our lives because he's counting on us. And we need to be careful that something that is causing us pleasure is not getting in the way of God's path for us. We need to be careful that the things that we buy are not getting in the way of the things that God wants us to accomplish in this life. God's not against us having possessions. God's not against us having pleasure. God has made both of those things, right? But we have to be careful what we, our pleasures are in and what our possessions that we buy. You know, the world's going to tell us it's okay. The world is going to tell us don't worry about it. The world is going to say experience all that you can experience in this life. Everyone else does it, and they're okay. You know, I love the memes that say, if you did this as a child, you did this, 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 and this as a child in your childhood, and you survived, and this is where it gets me. I love the stuff because, I mean, there's, I mean, I rode in the back of pickups. I rode my bike without a helmet. <gasps> the police will pull you over for that. They will have a talk to a child that doesn't have a helmet on today. But I survived. The problem with that kind of statement is this. The ones that didn't survive can't post on Facebook. You see my point? The ones that fell out of pickups, the back of pickups, there was, there, there's a reason why they did that. Because there's some idiots out there that don't know how to drive when there's kid in the back of pickup. Now, that's why the rule's made. Not because of you and I, right? Because we're all perfect. We would never drive crazy with children in the back of pickup. But some people did, and they died, okay? Um, where am I going with this? See, the world just says, do it, and it's not that big of a deal. The world will even look at, look at your mom and dad. They did it, and they turned out okay. You know, this type of parenting, you're supposed to tell your, your child every bad thing you did in your life, and I'm like, I'm not quite sure if that's a good idea. I mean, there's some things you want to say, okay, I did this as a child, and this is what really got me in trouble, so don't do that. Okay, but I don't know about every little thing you ever did. You know, there's some parenting that, that say that because that, that'll give your kids permission to do that, just that. Because the world says, 
they survived, right? You turned out okay, so what's the big deal? But they don't understand the amount of pain that you went through by doing that. And you're trying to, you know, get them to, to prevent them from going that way. So sometimes the best example from your mom and dad is if you would just be honest with you and say, listen, kids, we did that too. There are some things that we did, and it hurt us. And this is why I'm being hard on you. This is why I'm trying to direct your, your path. There are false teachers who would just say, do anything you would want to do. Now, the other thing that they were saying is, you can have anything. Anything. There's a teaching out there that says, for believers, your father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Is that scripturally based? Yeah. My father in heaven owns a cattle on a thousand hills. In other words, that's the point is, he has so much. So therefore, if we pray to him, he will always give us what we want. We call this prosperity gospel, and this is not good. This is not good. Teaching that, that if you just live your life right, then God will give you whatever you want. That goes against the scriptures. This, this has an application for the 21st century Christian who believe that all they have to do is pray, then they get whatever they want materially. And the scriptures don't bear that out. People who name and claim, other terms, grabbing and nabbing, I don't know, whatever. It's mine. I'm a Christian. God would want me to have this. When in reality, it's not God who wants it. See, the enemy knows that very thing will put a wedge between you and God. If I can get that wedge in of material, if I can get that wedge in of, of pleasure, I can put that in between you and God, then this is good for Satan. Because then you have to spend all your weekends, all your time maintaining those possessions. It's God's blessing, right? When in reality, God's blessing would be for you to sell some of that stuff and simplify our life. And I'm not saying, see, this is where preachers get in trouble. Sell that stuff, give the money to the church. No, 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 no. I'm saying you need to evaluate your life and decide what God wants in it or not. And sometimes that involves possessions. That's between you and the Lord. So Paul you know, says these guys are enemies of the cross. Now, for somebody to be an enemy of the cross, what would that mean? Well, the cross represents what? Self-sacrifice. So for somebody to be an enemy of the cross, they'd be saying, you don't have to sacrifice anything to be a Christian. Now, do you sacrifice anything to be a Christian? That's a good question for you to ask yourself. Because, I, you know, the first thing we think of is money, right? The Lord calls us to tithe 10%. It's throughout Scripture. He does not say you have to do it nickel and diamond. If you don't, you missed by a penny this month, Alan. 
How dare you? No, I'm not, you know, that's, uh, giving is between you and the Lord, but the Lord has called us to give, right? Yes, no? Okay, good. So I'm not off base here as a pastor teaching it, okay. But what other ways do we sacrifice? How about our time? Have you ever sacrificed time for God? How about awkwardness? Hey, would you like to buy a ticket for our Philippines fundraiser? I mean, that's, I, I, I've always hated fundraising. You know, growing up as a kid in sports, I've always hated fundraising, okay? In fact, up until the Philippines, Lisa and I have always just paid for our mission trips. If we gone somewhere, we didn't ask anybody for money. We just paid for them. And this is the first time we found ourselves in a position going, oh, we just can't pull that out of our budget, you know, so let's, let's do the fundraising, oh, uh, the F word. Okay, the fundraising word, you know. Enemies of the cross say you don't have to sacrifice anything. Your time, your energy, your effort, your relationships. Sometimes you have to give away a relationship, right? To say, this relationship is not good for me. You know, a lot of times we say that, you know, in the boyfriend-girlfriend stage. Is that a good relationship for you when, when it comes to God? But it can be friends. I've given up friends that I've enjoyed being around, but they have not been a good influence on me. So therefore, I've said, you know, I need to release that friendship. Or a friendship that is so overwhelming that you just got to back away from it, you know? Yeah, they're a Christian, but I'm not going to, no, I need to, <laughs> you know. There's so many different ways that we sacrifice for the Lord, and it can lead to a blessing when we do. But we look at it as a negative. You know, I've heard this pitch before. I've heard people say, come to Jesus. You don't have to give up anything. This doesn't make any sense. Because when you come to Jesus, you have to give up everything and say, is this part of my life good for me? And then Christ will either say yes or no, and then you have to abide by what he thinks. We give up everything for Christ, as it should be. And when you do, you'll be glad you do. Paul says, I consider all, you know, he said this earlier, I consider all the stuff that I did was just junk, just garbage. Everything I did before Christ got a hold of me, all the religious stuff that I did was all just garbage <coughs> in comparison to knowing Jesus. When God wants you to get rid of stuff, you need to be the first to volunteer. Say, yeah, this stuff messed up my life. But you know what? The whole teaching of just grab whatever you can for this life is out there and it's, you know, it's prevalent in the society and it is not from God. Jesus ran into really materialistic people, right? Just like we do. I was at a wedding yesterday and I could tell you, I could tell you the rich people and the not so rich people just by the clothes they wore. Now, some of them might have been faking it. I don't know. But most of the time, you can tell, right? Well, early on in, in his teaching, you know, he called a rich young ruler to him, a, a young uh, ruler. And that kind of says it right there, young ruler, you know. I mean, this guy was a real winner. He was in charge, he was rich, and he was young. 
And he came up to Jesus, and Jesus said, you know what? Jesus, I've obeyed all the laws. I've done it. But for some reason, this young man was feeling like something was lacking. This is like approaching Jesus going, I got it 99% together. Just give me that little tidbit, Jesus. What's the one thing that's just going to put me over, that one little nugget? Then I'd be perfect because my life is so cool and I'm the rich young ruler. What did Jesus say to this guy? He said, you, you really are lacking the one thing. He looked over him, and the scripture says that he loved him. Now, this is interesting. Isn't it cool that Jesus loves all kinds of people? He loved the downtrodden. He loved the Samaritan woman, which Samaritans were against Jews. He loved the Roman soldier for coming to him, saying, my daughter is dying, help her. And then he said to the, the Jews, this Roman soldier has more faith than you guys do. He loved him. He loved all, he loved this rich guy. He loved him so much that he loved him to death, literally to the cross. So he says to this guy, here's the deal. You just need to do one thing. Go and sell all your possessions and follow me. Give it to the poor and follow me. You could imagine this guy's face. Just, what? No, no, no. You just mean like, like part of my possessions, right? My excess? I can do that. No, 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 no. Just sell it all. Because he knew what was keeping this guy from the kingdom of God, and that was his possessions. Now, I'm not saying that's all of you guys. I'm not, yeah, that's not my point here. We're all in a different place. But we need to just, just get rid of the things that are preventing us from being around God. And this is what, Jesus, or what Paul was calling the enemies, these false teachers, these enemies of the cross. They don't take up the cross and follow Jesus. They stay with what the world says. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. You know, the Philippians were Roman citizens, and they were very proud of that. They were pretty far away in Greece. Now, we, I know Greece is right across the ocean from Rome, but for back then, that was traveling. That was a long time. But that they were proud of being Roman citizens because it gives them all types of rights and privileges. So they understood what it was like to live in one location and have a dual citizenship because they had a citizenship, uh, you know, in the Philippines, uh, I was going to say Philippines, in Philippians, in Philippi. They were citizens of Philippi and they were citizens of Rome. And Paul is, is writing back from Rome and, and saying, guys, you are citizens of this earth, but you are also citizens of the heavenly kingdom. And that's where our mindset needs to be. And he says for those citizens, as we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word eagerly, eagerly await is the same word that you would use for a child for the night before Christmas. It's that kind of eagerly waiting. It's the last day of school and the kids are watching the clock and they're, not, they're just ignoring the teacher. I'm sure, you know, Sharon and Donna, they were teachers. You never experienced that, did you? Kids just totally ignoring you. They're just counting it down. Summer starts. 
It's that kind of feeling. It's the feeling that the pastor's fixing to shut up. Nothing, nothing. Eagerly away. Okay. As we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Savior is not a word that the Apostle Paul used very much. The other uh, biblical writers use the word Savior all the time. Paul uses the, the word Savior only three or four times in all his writing. And there was a reason Paul did this. He was a part of the Roman Empire. In 48 BC, the Ephesians were trying to, to really suck up to Rome, and they declared Julius Caesar to be the universal savior of all mankind. So Paul understood the word savior in the Roman citizens. They connected that with Caesar. So he didn't use that wordage very much, and there was a reason. So when, they crown, you, know, so when you were crowned king, you were also called savior. So Paul was very careful about this. And he's got this word picture going, and he's thinking of the Savior. The Savior, not Julius Caesar, right? Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we got a present-day application here. And it's pretty obvious to any one of us who are trying to witness to anybody that has a different view of God than we do. You know, it used to be in America, if you said the word God, everybody understood what God you were talking about. The same God I would be talking about as I mentioned God, right? But that's not true anymore. And it'll never be the same until Jesus comes back. So maybe we need to change our vernacular, how we say things. We've got to get very specific about what we're saying when we share our faith. If I'm witnessing to a Muslim and I say the word God, what is he thinking of? Yeah, a different God. Allah, a non-God. Little g-God, okay? If I say God to a Hindu, well, there's like 330 million possibilities. Because everything to them is a God. If I say God to a Hindu, he's like, yeah, the tree in my backyard, I worship that. You know, if I say God to Jehovah's Witness who comes to my door, they're not thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I say God to, uh, to uh, a Mormon, a person who follows Mormonism as their faith, we're not talking about the same God because the Mormon God is a physical God who had many wives, who's the father of Jesus who's also kind of an atom. And it just, I mean, there's all, Mormonism, if you look at it, it's just nuts. The more I study Mormonism, the more I study their God isn't my God. It is not my God. It is not the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're a good Mormon, you even believe that one day that you're going to be a God. Okay? So Mormonism is not Christianity. If I say God to someone who's, studying New Age, they think of God as just kind of this force, right? You know, all sorts of things. So I don't say God. I don't even say Christ because they think Christ is, is a consciousness for the New Age person. If I say the Lord Jesus Christ, or if I just say Jesus, even if, even if some who attend the 12-step program, okay, the basis of that being a very biblical organization, but over time, their definitions have gotten pretty broad, 
the whole thing about a higher, a higher, higher power and all this kind of stuff, and you can choose which God you, I mean, it's a mess, okay? We didn't invent the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a man who is God of this world, who is God of this universe, who came down and died for our sins. So when we witness, we have to say the Lord Jesus Christ. We, they have to know who we're talking about. And we just, you know, we got to figure out who he is and how we're supposed to follow him. Now, the word Lord, what, what does the word Lord mean? The Lord means boss. Think of King James Version, Lord, Lord of his manor, the Lord of the, okay, you know, Robin Hood, Lord, okay. He was the guy in charge, okay? That means boss. What does Jesus mean? Well, Jesus, which is really Joseph, I mean, uh, not, not uh, uh, John, okay, it's the same name as John, uh, that's his earthly name. Now, what does Christ mean? Well, Christ is his, his position in heaven. He is Christ. There is none other like him. There's no way, there's no other way to make it to heaven except through the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we're witnessing, you need to not just talk about God. You have to talk about Jesus. And then you have to lead them into the Lord Jesus Christ because he is God. And then they understand what you're talking about. You know, it's interesting when, when you're witnessing and the conversation gets more serious more quickly, and if you're talking about God, everybody's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I feel like I believe in God. But when you mention the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, no, we can't go down that path. But this is what Paul is using as an example. Well, let's just read a couple more verses because I'm out of, town, uh, out of time and we'll be done here. Verse 20, it says, As we eagerly await a Savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, and Paul gets very mushy here, and I don't know, do I have this in there? I don't know if I even have this uh, on there. My brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So Paul just starts first. He says, my brothers and sisters. And another translation says, my beloved. And it's just like this greeting card. You know what I mean? And this is a really cool thing about Paul. Those of us that you know, Christian men, uh, we, we need to pattern ourselves after this guy, you know, uh, uh, because Paul could be the toughest of the toughest of men. He didn't back down on any issue. He's a man's man, but you know what? There were times when his emotions came out like right there. This guy was poetic, and some of the things he could, could you know, uh, some of us could have, a, it'd be better if we were a little more poetic, Right? For men, especially about the people that you feel, you know, the, the people that you love that are around you. Could you imagine writing to your children and your wife or somebody you were dating a letter saying, My beloved? They just get all like, 
mushy and gooey, right? Well, I mean, not a teenage son, but, you know, younger son. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. He's talking to people he loves, to friends. So we started in verse 15 with him saying, you know, the, everything that I've already attained, everything that I ever, ever had means nothing. But watch me. Watch me and don't go backwards. Hang in there is what he's saying. Stand firm in the world against the enemies of God because the enemies of God are only about what they can attain here on this earth. Our citizenship is not here. It's in heaven, and that's where our focus needs to be. Amen? Well, I need to finish up. So why don't we stand and pray and worship team will come and lead us out and don't forget to grab some of the uh, fundraising uh, tickets to sell uh, for us to make it to the Philippines so they can hear the word of God and stand firm in the faith also let's pray Lord we thank you for Paul we thank you for a man who says watch me do the things that I do imitate me because I'm imitating Christ I pray Lord that you help us in that endeavor that we look at our lives and see how we're living and, and look around to see who's watching us and that we put them on a path that is good. Lord, I ask for forgiveness for the things that we've done in our past because people have seen the sins that we have, sometimes in secret and sometimes in open. But Lord, you're, you're a God of grace and mercy and love and you forgive us of those sins and we ask for forgiveness of those sins. And Lord, we ask that you put us on a good path that people can see how we turned our life around, that they can see the goodness of you, that you do have forgiveness and mercy and love, not only for that person, but for them also. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may you be blessed this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Join